Hello, and welcome back to the Braxton Ranch Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Gidding. Last week on Campfire Stories was Chapter 6, Revisiting the Past. This week, Chapter 7, French Demons. So let's go get that campfire started, and we'll nestle in for a good story. The Kings of Braxton, Born Unto Trouble. Chapter 7. French Demons 1. It was early November 1917 in Colmer, France. Along a river was a row of buildings that were so close that at times they looked like a single structure. Inside one of these buildings, in a damp and dusty basement, Sam and Neil sat near a set of stone steps that led up to the street and a small footbridge. The basement was small and crowded, lit with only a small white candle that was dripping wax onto the table where it was perched. Men sat along a wall to the right of the steps, each cradling a weapon, mostly M1 Grands. Two men in the back corner, where the light failed to reach, leaned on a vicar's machine gun, trying to catch some sleep. The sound of planes, tanks, and explosions were distant and didn't seem to bother any of the men in the cramped space. Sam and Neil were part of a special group of soldiers, a group that did not exist in the eyes of the U.S. government, or any government for that matter. It operated outside the normal parameters of warfare. They were known only as the unit to those who knew about them. They operated mostly under the cover of night, behind enemy lines, and they never left survivors. The German army claimed they were just a ghost story, but the German soldiers knew better. Entire platoons disappeared in a matter of hours. The unit was made up of a dozen men just like the kings and one traitorous German woman who acted as an interpreter and as cover when needed. She stayed out of the fighting as much as she could. Lieutenant Burke was in charge of the unit. He had been in Europe since before the Americans joined the fight, along with the Kings. Nobody in the unit had an official rank, but the guys just started calling him Lieutenant one day, and it stuck. Ranks were not given to the men because they were not part of any army. They were civilians fighting, nothing more. On paper, the King brothers never fought in the war. They had no rank earned no medals, and received no gratitude for their sacrifice. Through many different means, the unit was able to keep in touch with the American military and various other rogue groups like themselves. They were using the basement in Colmer as a temporary living quarters. Colmer was almost ten miles from the Rhine River and far behind the enemy lines. They were resting after a week's worth of fighting, and it was a welcome break, even if the accommodation was cramped. Kuntzberger ran down the steps to the crowded basement past the brothers. Kuntz was one of many runners and resistance fighters who assisted the unit in their fight against the Kaiser. After a quick look around, he found Burke and handed him a folded envelope. They exchanged words quietly, and Kuntz left in a hurry. Burke unfolded the envelope, and retrieved a note from inside. After reading it, he handed it to Johnny Barrett. 
Johnny and his twin brother Jimmy were the map readers for the unit, plotting out every excursion and mission. The twins grew up in the mountains of Montana, living off the land and hunting for their food, which made them the ideal men for the job. Johnny read the note along with Jimmy, and then unrolled some maps. After a moment of looking at the map, Jimmy pointed. Here, he said as Johnny began to make a measurement. Looks to be about twenty mile or so, Johnny said. Kings, Burke hollered. Get your asses over here now. The brothers made their way to Burke. Yes, sir, Neil said. Look, Burke gestured to the map. This is where we are, and this is where we need to go. We got some intelligence that a whole mess of Germans are camping out in a church here in St. Die. We need to get their PDQ. The Barretts will get us there, but you two go ahead of us and clear the way. We'll be just behind you. You two work out the details with the twins. Burke walked away, and Johnny showed the Kings the route that would get them there the quickest. The Kings usually took point because they didn't seem to be afraid of anything, and they were quite good at killing the enemy quickly and quietly. As Johnny and Jimmy showed the Kings their plans on the map, the rest of the unit prepared for the move. Boom, the demolition expert, packed his gear with a large cigar hanging from his mouth. Nearby, Ronnie Anderson was packing his gear when he noticed the cigar. He jumped up and shouted at Boom. What the hell are you doing, man? Boom looked at Ronnie as if he was crazy. I'm packing. Boom was a man of few words. He didn't like wasting time saying things that didn't matter. It was part of his charm that caught the king's attention. But fire... Explosives. You don't see the problem? Ronnie yelled. No, Boom replied as he flicked the ash from his cigar. Ronnie, the communication expert, was a jumpy fella from northern Michigan. His father was a self-made millionaire, and Ronnie had been desperate to get away from his reach. He thought the war would be the perfect escape. Mike Worth from New York, who had enlisted for the action before joining up with the unit, and Eddie Smith from Canada were the Vickers Gunners. Eddie just felt like the war was something he needed to be a part of. Ronnie kicked Mike, who fell over before waking up, and then woke Eddie. They began to pack up the heavy Vickers before they were even fully awake. The Kings headed out with plenty of firepower and ammo. After making their way to the steps, they paused for a moment. You boys be careful, and don't go getting yourselves killed, Burke said from nearby. Boom looked at the brothers and nodded. Then Sam and Neil ran up the steps and out of sight. Where are they going? Ronnie asked. The kings will clear our path, Burke said as he turned and tended to his pack. Two. The night was cool and moonless, which provided the perfect cover for the brothers to make their way out of German territory. They had been walking for hours and were getting close to the front, meaning they might encounter the German army before leaving the occupied territory. Sam ran across the field of tall grass, followed by Neil. 
the grass was waist-high and easily used for cover as they made their way to a large wooded area where they could move safely. The two stopped near a small river. They could hear a low hum and rumble that sounded like people talking. Sam looked in the direction of a small footbridge and noticed a faint glow of light just on the other side. Should we check it out or go around, he asked. Neil poked his head up just enough to see without being seen. Let's get closer, Neil said quietly. The brothers made their way across the shallow but swiftly moving river and stopped once they reached the other bank. Neil poked his head up for another quick check. Logically speaking, we should probably go around. Sam rose just enough to see a small German encampment. Four large lights lit the camp of about fifty soldiers with one tank. It was a staging area, and it looked to Sam like they were almost ready to move out, but not in the direction of the front lines. Sam crouched back down and turned to Neil. Eh, who needs logic? We need to hit them before the rest of our unit stumbles on them. Right now we have the upper hand. Our guys might not be so lucky, Sam said. They took a moment to ready their guns and devise a plan of attack. For this to work, the brothers needed to attack from opposite directions, which would put them in danger of crossfire. Five minutes to get to where you need to be, Neil said to Sam. The brothers held their watches up and synced them to the same time. Now, Neil said quietly. The plan was for the brothers to be across from one another, but behind obstacles to protect themselves from Germans and each other. Be safe, Sam said. Neil nodded his head. Then he ran around the camp to the left and stopped behind a rock wall edging a small cobblestone road that led to the footbridge, while Sam went right and hid himself behind a building. It was small, but made of stone walls and would be the perfect place for cover. He could run from one side of the building to the other to keep the enemy guessing. They needed the Germans to think there were more than just two of them. Keep them confused and keep them in a panic. Surprise and chaos is the goal. The minutes seemed to tick by slowly while the brothers waited behind their cover. Sam adjusted his helmet and pulled his weapons out of his pack. He checked his watch. Three minutes. He took off all unnecessary weight to make running and movement easier. He placed the gun belts near the corner of the small building for easy access, then checked his watch again. Two minutes. Sam placed one of his two rifles on the opposite corner along with extra magazines. He checked his watch again. One minute. He watched the seconds tick off, his back against the stone building, as he waited to make his move. Neil dropped all his extra ammo near the wall and leaned his rifle against it for quick access. He would not be moving around as much as Sam, so he kept everything within reach. He checked his watch. Three. Two. One. At the same moment... The brothers jumped from their hiding spots and opened fire, catching the camp completely off guard. Germans fled for cover as bodies fell to the ground around them. 
Soldiers scrambled to their guns and started returning fire. Sam ducked back behind the building as bullets flew past. While reloading, he ran around to the other side, then jumped out from a different vantage point and resumed his fire. The stone wall exploded around Neil as he ducked for safety to reload his rifle. He poked his head up just above the wall and fired into the camp. The brothers were not just blindly firing into the crowd. They took fast aim and chose their targets before shooting. It was fifty against two, and the King brothers had to hit their marks if they wanted to survive. With each rapid shot from them, another German would fall, dead or wounded. The German soldiers shot back at the brothers in a panic. Blood flew through the air, illuminated by the large lights around the camp. While body parts fell from the soldiers and bullets flew from every direction. Germans were shooting their own men as they frantically and blindly shot in every direction, trying to fend off the attack. Sam ran over to the bridge to get a new angle and confused the Germans even more. He reloaded his rifle and waited for the perfect moment. Neil continued to fire one round after another. Most shots found their mark, but some seemed to just fly by blindly. One round struck a gas can and it exploded, sending flames in all directions, including to a nearby tent. The tent burned as the Germans ignored it, trying to find the source of the gunfire. At this point, Sam once again opened fire on the camp, allowing Neil to take cover and reload. He sprayed the camp with bullets, no longer caring where they landed, knowing it would further confuse and scare the enemy. Once Sam was out of ammo, he headed back toward the building, but on his way there he was hit and fell to the ground. The fire in the camp had quickly spread to other tents, and in the chaos, Neil finished off the last few soldiers, while Sam managed to get back to the building and kill a fleeing soldier with the last shot from his pistol. The soldier fell to the ground and slid a few feet before stopping. Now, the camp was nearly silent. The only noise was coming from the generators keeping the lights on and the crackling of the burning tents and bodies. A coarse odor filled the air as the brothers waited for a sign that it was safe to leave their cover. You hit, little brother? Neil yelled across the camp. His voice echoed in the dense, cool air. Little bit? You? Sam replied. No, Neil replied as he stood and took a look around the camp. Sam left the safety of the building, limping toward the camp. There were German soldiers strewn on the ground, their blood staining the dirt, grass, and cobblestone road. Sam limped to the center of the camp where Neil met him. Neil was breathing heavy and had blood dripping from his head. Sam was calm but bleeding from a gunshot wound to the outside of his upper thigh. Neil tapped on Sam's helmet. Looks like it could have been worse. Sam removed his helmet and noticed a dent in the front. Then he flipped it over and showed Neil a photo of their father tucked inside the lining. He watches over me. At that, Neil removed his own helmet and showed Sam the same photo tucked inside the lining. He watches over both of us, little brother. Neil noticed a small hole in his helmet and put his hand up to his head. 
He brought his hand back down and noticed blood. Doesn't hurt, he said as he lowered his head for Sam to see. Not bad. Just a scratch. He was definitely looking out for you. That could have been the end of you. They each put their helmets back on and Sam took a seat on an ammo crate. He pulled a rag from his pocket and tied it around his leg just above the wound to stop the bleeding. The fire slowed as it consumed nearly all the tents. Still inside, is it? Neil asked as he looked at the wound in his brother's leg. Yep, Sam replied, holding back a scream. You're gonna have a permanent limp like Al if you don't get it out. Sam grabbed his combat knife and handed it to Neil. I know. Get it. Neil took the knife and used it to dig around in Sam's leg for the bullet. Sam screamed for just a moment, then bit down on his helmet strap as Neil kept burrowing for the slug. Blood flew freely from the wound, and each twist of the knife seemed to make it worse. Tears rolled down Sam's cheek as he screamed again. I feel it. Just relax. I can't get to it if you tense up like that, Neil said. How about I dig through your leg, and we can see how relaxed you are? Neil was able to move the bullet close enough to the surface, where he could reach it with his fingers. Using the knife to pry it up, he grabbed the bullet with his free hand. There, got it, Neil declared triumphantly. Sam looked up at the heavens and let out one last scream, as Neil tied a second rag tightly around the wound, and then looked at the bullet he had just pulled out of his brother's leg. Sam stopped screaming, grabbed the bullet, and shoved it into his front pocket, then said, Let's get moving. Let's take a rest for a moment. They'll be coming through here any minute. We have to keep moving. Sam managed to get himself up and retrieved his pack and weapons from the nearby building. Neil collected his things and joined Sam on his way out of the camp along the cobblestone path. 3. The brothers crossed into Allied territory with no further encounters and once across the lines, they had an easy journey. The sun rose above a cloudy sky as the brothers looked down on the village of Santi, which was surrounded by hills and dense forest. From a distance, it looked like any other peaceful French village. They walked into town on the dusty road and took cover behind a row of buildings, staying hidden from any German soldiers who might be walking about. A row of stores lined each side of the street, which sloped down slightly. Each shop was connected to the next, making one long, continuous building. The spaces above looked to be homes, possibly of the shop's owners. All the shutters were closed, and the streets were empty except for the shop carts left in the road, as if the people just vanished and left things as they were. A sickly-looking dog ran away from the brothers down the road toward a group of other dogs rummaging through some old trash. Sam watched them for a moment before he noticed a tall stone steeple in the distance. Look, Sam whispered as he pointed, that must be the church. If we can get into one of these buildings, we should be able to get a better look, Neil said as he looked along the row of buildings on the left. They crossed the street and walked along the row of shops, 
trying each door as they passed. As they got near the end of the row, they found an open door and made their way into the top floor, where they crept in slowly and quietly. As they'd suspected, this was a home. Just inside the door to the left was a small fireplace, and on the back wall, a wooden hutch stood between two windows, each with a wooden chair in front of it. To the right were two doors. The bedrooms. A family portrait of a young couple and their daughter sat on a fireplace. The daughter was only about six years old, maybe seven. Sam picked it up and looked it over for a moment. It made him feel sad and even a bit sick to his stomach to think about that family and what might have happened to them. You find this a bit odd? Neil asked as he took a seat on a chair in front of a window. Yes, Sam replied. Sam put the photo back on the dresser and pulled out a map. He laid it on a table and looked it over. We're way too far from the German lines for this to make any sense, Sam said. And kind of far from anything of any strategic purpose. Neil turned and opened the shutter slowly. From this vantage point he could see the church perfectly. It was an old gothic-style building with two levels and a tall steeple. Stained-glass windows covered the front of the church that was surrounded by a short stone wall and tall trees. Neil opened his pack and pulled out a set of binoculars. He looked at the church with them, trying to find signs of movement. I don't see anything, Neil said as he handed the binoculars to Sam. Sam walked over to the window and scanned the church for a moment before he saw a side door open. A man dressed in farm attire came out and stopped at the steps. Despite his clothes, the man had a Mondragoon rifle slung over his shoulder. Take a look, Sam said, returning the binoculars to Neil. Neil watched the man walk around to the front of the church and go in through the front door. That's a funny-looking shovel. What would a farmer be doing hanging around a church? They should have disguised themselves as priests, Neil said as he placed the binoculars on the window ledge. It still don't make sense, Sam said as he returned to the map on the table. Does it have to? Neil asked as he looked at his watch. The rest of the men will be here soon. I'll go meet them. You try to make sense of this, if... That's what you need. Neil left the room and Sam studied the map before looking out the window. Why a church? he asked himself. And why here? He leaned on the table and crossed his arms. Neil walked along the vacant road back toward the edge of town, the likely place to meet up with the unit. He crouched down near a fence and watched for them. But he didn't have to wait long. Burke approached Neil and he stood. Behind Burke were the other men and the German woman. There was also a large group of men behind them, soldiers, who Neil didn't recognize. Burke shook Neil's hand. It's good to see you got here in one piece. We came across your handiwork back there. It's impressive, he said. Did we pick up a few extra soldiers on the way? Neil asked as he gestured behind Burke. Oh, yeah. We ran into them in a trench at the front. These boys are part of the 
American Expeditionary Force. They were all too happy to join us. They've worked closely with the French Resistance. They might come in handy, Burke answered as he looked around at the group of soldiers. The town's empty, Neil said. Not a soul in sight, except for the crowds at the church. Follow me, I'll show you what we've got. The group followed Neil into town, quietly moving along the road toward the row of buildings. Neil stopped and gestured to the door leading to where Sam was waiting. Burke turned to the group. Men, take five here and keep it quiet. Barrett boys, follow me. Burke and the Barrett twins followed Neil into the building as the large group of soldiers rested close to the row of buildings. Boom opened his large pack and pulled out various types of explosives, making sure he was ready for anything. Harry Bradley, a private in the AEF, took a seat next to Boom, who shot the private in evil glare, which was ignored. I wouldn't try to talk to him, kid, Ronnie said to the young private. He's not all that agreeable towards strangers. Harry ignored the warning as he opened his pack. He pulled out a pack of smokes and offered one to Boom. You light that up, and I'll kill you myself, Boom said. Harry thought for a moment, then realized what Boom was saying. Smoke would give their position away. He returned the smokes to his pack. Before we left with you guys, I was talking to one of my French counterparts, and he said that this village is a quiet and peaceful place. The church is the center of life here, Harry said while watching Boom fidget with his pack. Which makes it the perfect place for them crowds to hide. Boom began. There's no reason for us to expect them. How can they do this to a church? Harry asked. You want to go ask Fritz? By all means, help yourself. I'm going to stay here and get ready to kill him. Where are you from? It's an English accent, isn't it? I knew a guy back home from England. Well, New England, anyway. It's not really the same, is it? He was... You keep running your mouth, and I'll knock a few of your teeth out for you. Boom snapped. Harry turned away as Boom continued to rummage through his pack. Harry just wanted to keep his mind off the fight that might be facing him. He was not scared, but excited, and slightly nervous. Inside the building, Sam and Neil were discussing plans with Burke while the twins studied the map on the table. I have seen three German soldiers so far. They take walks around the church every five minutes or so, Sam explained to Burke. They're dressed as farmers, but armed with semi and full automatic rifles. There's no telling how many might be inside, Neil added. The men turned their attention to the twins and the map. What you got, boys? Burke asked. We have enough men to surround the church, putting groups here, here, here... And here, Johnny explained, pointing to all sides of the church on the map. What about here? Sam asked, pointing to a small shack behind the church. What if we put Boom here and let him do his business? It should be close enough for him. That's a good idea, King, Burke said, looking to Johnny for his input. Johnny and Jimmy both nodded their heads in agreement, and Burke walked to the window and looked down at the church. His mind was racing, and he wanted to jump out of his skin, 
He loved the fight. Before every battle, he got an itch to jump the gun and go in with guns blazing. It was this urge and the ability to control it that made him the perfect leader for the unit. Sam and Neil packed up their gear and slung their packs over their shoulders. Where do you want us? Sam asked Burke. Burke looked down at the rag wrapped around Sam's leg. You good to go? He asked. I'm good to go, Sam insisted. Burke looked down at the map and pointed. I want you two up front, leading the attack here on the south side, along this building. From here, that spot looks like it ain't much more than a first floor and a pile of rubble. Use it. Nobody shoots until you do. We go in just before sunup. Burke looked up at the King Brothers. We can't complete this mission without you. So keep your wits about you and stay alive. The brothers left the room and Burke returned his attention to the church. He could almost see the fight happening in his head and he was ready for it. 4. The soldiers surrounded the church quietly in the darkness. Small groups of soldiers occupied the empty buildings to the left and right, while others hid in the field behind the church and more were across the street behind a low wall where Mike and Eddie set up the vicars. Boom silently and quickly took up position at the shack behind and to the left of the church. He prepared his explosives as he waited for the signal. Harry crouched near a wall to the left of the church with Sam and Neil nearby. He was surprised at the amount of firepower the brothers had on them. He counted five handguns, seven grenades, a rifle strapped over each shoulder, and another rifle in their hands. Got enough guns? He asked sarcastically. Sam looked at him with disdain, then focused back on the church as he replied. I hope so. I would hate to be in the position of having to save your ass and run out of ammo. Harry backed away slowly, realizing he was not wanted there. He turned to a nearby soldier, Chuck. These guys aren't the most friendly people, are they? He commented. Not even a little bit, but I've heard stories about them. They've been through a lot and lost a lot of men along the way. I can see why they aren't all that nice to outsiders. These people are the type nightmares are made of. Sam overheard the two men talking and glared at them, which caused them to shut their mouths. Keep it quiet. Focus on the task at hand, or we'll be digging your graves when it's all over, Sam said stone-faced. Sam turned back to the church, looking for a sign of movement. Anything that would let him know they were in the right place. Through a side window, he watched a man walk to the entrance and stop outside for a smoke. He was only ten yards from Sam's cover. The group of soldiers behind Sam and Neil raised their guns in silence and waited for Sam to make the first move. Neil and Sam lifted their rifles and took aim. Your call, little brother. Neil whispered without taking his eyes off the doorway. Sam looked up and down the line and noticed that all the men were ready to go. It was impressive to see so many soldiers silently lined up and ready for a fight. Sam took a deep breath 
and fired his shot just as the German struck the match to light his cigarette, hitting him in the face and dropping him to the ground. Boone tossed a makeshift bomb device that landed on the back step of the church, and it exploded as a soldier ran out the back door, ripping him apart instantly and sending his head back inside the building through a hole that was blasted in the wall with the same explosive. Bullets ripped through the church's windows and chipped away at the stone walls. The Americans tossed grenades indiscriminately through the windows, hoping to inflict mass damage as Sam and Neil crawled low to the ground toward the church and stopped next to a low stone wall, just feet from the building. They heard screams and yelling in German. Without hesitation, but cautiously, the brothers opened fire through the open door. The unit moved in closer with the kings as they continued to fire. Germans on the second floor fired onto the soldiers below, chasing them back to their cover, which made Sam nervous. This was becoming bigger than they were led to believe. It seems like the Germans were ready for them, waiting for them to show up. The amount of firepower and men suggested that they were not just a small unit hiding behind enemy lines, but a force set to annihilate the Allied forces unit by unit. Sam and his men fought to keep the force at bay, and Germans fell as they exited the church. The cries of their fellow soldiers could be heard by all. Neil turned to Ronnie. Tell Boom that we need that second floor cleared, now! Ronnie frantically relayed the message, and Boom tossed another device through the second floor window. It looked like some sort of homemade mix of dynamite and grenades, held together by tape, string, and a good prayer. The blast was so powerful that it tossed German soldiers, glass, and rubble through the adjacent window, raining down in front of the kings. The explosion allowed the Americans to once again advance on the church, this time free from the rain of bullets from above them. A German officer ran toward the brothers from the front of the church. Neil turned, quick as lightning, and fired his weapon. Click! It was empty. Before he could switch weapons, the officer fell to the ground dead, shot by Harry, who was standing atop a pile of rubble behind the brothers. Sam looked back at Harry, nodded his head in a sign of respect and gratitude, then continued. Neil grabbed one of the rifles he had slung over his shoulder before jumping over the small wall with Sam beside him. They ran into the church as the sun began to break the horizon, casting a warm light over the battle. Harry descended the mound of rubble and followed the brothers, but he was hit in the gut while jumping over the wall. He fell instantly to the ground, where he was shot once again. The lights in the church had been either shot out or turned off, making it nearly impossible to see inside. Flashes from the muzzles of their weapons provided the only fleeting light as the brothers went from room to room, killing every German they found without mercy. AEF soldiers and Ronnie stayed close behind. They moved slowly and deliberately. Screams from both sides echoed in large halls, as they made their way to the center of the church. The men stopped at the end of a hall, before a large, spectacularly decorated door. Carvings of Jesus Christ and his apostles stared back at the brothers as they stood wordlessly, as smoking gun barrels cooled off. 
They heard German voices and movement that sounded like an entire platoon on the other side of the majestic door, just waiting for an ambush. Sam and Neil paused a moment and replaced their magazines with fully loaded ones, then turned and looked to the men behind them, eager for a conclusion to this battle. The others replaced their magazines as well. We're with you, brothers, Ronnie whispered. In unison, Sam and Neil kicked the door open and ran into the chapel, guns blazing. The Germans returned fire, hitting Sam in the arm and killing a soldier behind him. The room was lit up by short flashes of gunfire. Across the room, a second door flew open, and Burke stormed in with the rest of the unit behind him. They too shot into the crowd of Germans. As the room became brighter from the muzzle flashes, Sam noticed something that made his blood boil. Cease fire, he yelled at the top of his lungs. Cease fire! Hold your fire, damn it! The unit stopped firing as the morning rays began to light up the smoke-filled chapel through shards of once magnificent stained glass windows. The sound of suffering and the moans of the innocents silenced and angered the unit as they looked around at the women, children, and elderly villagers lying on the ground between the pews. Everyone in the unit gasped. George threw up his light lunch, Jimmy ran out of the room, and Burke stood motionless. The Germans had held the entire town hostage in the church and set a trap. The villagers had no chance, their hands and feet were bound, and their mouths gagged. There was nothing that could be done. The soldiers had slaughtered the entire town. Sam dropped his weapon and slowly walked among the bodies. There were a few German soldiers mixed in with the innocent bodies. He fell to his knees next to the body of a young girl. The girl from the portrait on the dresser. He howled unnaturally, a sound that even his own brother had never heard before. Sam felt the pain and suffering from every innocent soul in the room and could not contain his tears. He wailed and wept while cradling the young child who was covered in blood from multiple gunshot wounds. He wiped the thick, sticky blood from her face as he held her close. Tears from his eyes dropped onto the fair skin of the little girl, mixing with the blood. Neil was unable to bring himself to walk through the sea of bodies and blood. He could see faces split open from bullets that might have come from his own weapon, and bodies ripped apart by grenades and he saw stockpiles of weapons. The Germans were ready for the unit, and the trap would have worked if it had not been for the AEF soldiers who had joined them. Neil fell to his knees and buried his face in shame. The soldiers from the American Expeditionary Force entered the room and saw the carnage. Most fled at the sight, but others vomited, adding to the stench of death filling the room with a suffocating strength. Neil turned to a soldier and yelled, Get me a German! I need a fucking kraut now! Men spread out, looking for a living German soldier. Evil sons of bitches. This was a trap. Them damned krauts have no soul, Burke said as he set his rifle down. 
The unit moved through the chapel, separating the soldiers from the innocents. Sam gently laid the young girl on the bloody floor and crossed her arms over her chest. Then he looked up at the statue of Christ for just a moment, then let out another howling scream as if angry at Christ himself for allowing such a thing to happen. Sam struggled to his feet, covered in blood. The lump in his throat prevented him from speaking as he walked past Neil and left the building. Five. Sam stood outside the church and looked around. His eyes were hazy from the tears. He looked down and saw Harry on the ground with a large hole in his stomach. He was gasping for air as blood poured from his mouth. Sam knelt beside him and held his head. Stay calm, my friend. Your fight is not yet over. Don't give up. Harry looked up at Sam and coughed harshly. Did we... did we get them? He asked through the gurgling blood. We got them, kid. We got them all. Sam looked around for a medic. Somebody help me over here. This man needs a medic, he shouted. Sam looked back at Harry as he drew his last gurgling, painful breath. Then Sam slowly stood and froze for a moment before he realized a group of soldiers were staring at him. They were shocked at the amount of blood covering him. You, he yelled as he walked over to the group. All of you, find some shovels and start digging graves, now. How many? One soldier asked. Don't stop until I tell you, Sam replied soberly, saddened by his own comment. He returned to the chapel and started carrying the bodies out. Neil was in a room with a German soldier propped up against the wall. He had been shot several times and was no longer alive. Rolanda, the unit's German, stood next to him. Did you get any of that? Neil asked, afraid that it was just nonsense from a dying man. He said this was a trap for the unit. A traitor they called the American gave them intelligence about the church. They held everyone in town for days and waited for us to show up, setting a trap to slaughter us. But they didn't expect so many soldiers. He also said they had been trying to catch us for months and figured the best way was to have us come to them. Neil kicked the dead German and stormed out of the church. He passed a line of soldiers carrying bodies out to the fresh graves. Once outside, Neil noticed Sam watching the soldiers burying the bodies of the villagers from where he sat on a low wall, dried blood and tears streaking his face. He had his helmet in his hands and was smoking a rolled cigarette. Neil took a seat on the wall next to him. It's not our fault, Sam, Neil said to comfort his brother. Do you really believe that? Sam asked, agitated. Yes, I do. We had no way of knowing they were in there. Neil reasoned as he spat tobacco juice. Johnny fell, Sam said as he choked on his emotions. Neil looked toward the front of the church where he saw Jimmy leaning over the body of his brother, Johnny, sobbing uncontrollably. 
The brothers shared a moment of silence as they each pondered the thought of losing the other. Sam tossed his cigarette and walked over to the body of a young girl, which was next to a grave. He knelt next to her and quietly said a few words of remorse. I will never forget what we have done here. I will remember your perfect beauty in youth until the day I leave this world. Then, I will find you on the other side, and I will beg your forgiveness for eternity. Thank you so much for joining me this week. I hope you enjoyed Chapter 7, French Demons. Join me next week for Chapter 8, Hitting Hard. Just a friendly reminder, if you like what you're hearing, you can pop on over to Amazon.com where you can buy The Kings of Braxton, Born Under Trouble, on ebook and in paperback version. Thank you very much for stopping by.